morning. It's good to see all of you with us this morning. If you have your Bible, will you take it and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. If you're using your pew Bible, you can find that on page 186. Page 186. This morning we're going to wrap up our current mini-series that we're calling World View. Um, over the past couple of weeks, it's been our desire to present to you some, uh, some topics and ideas that are affecting uh, us in the faith community, and not only locally, uh, but globally. Issues that, that we wrestle with, both here at home and issues that we wrestle with around the world, and see, see what it is that God would say to us and how he would challenge us to address those needs and address those situations. Uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up by looking at this idea of poverty. We uh, purposefully saved this topic for, for the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, in a few days, you will gather with, um, around this, this large table perhaps, spread full of turkey and stuffing and desserts and all the good stuff with a number of, of family and friends. And for some of you, you will be stuffed on family before you ever get to the table. So we'll pray for you and do another series later. But it seems appropriately ironic to pause before this Thanksgiving meal and realize all that we have in the context of the culture that we live in and what is happening globally and now locally in our world. I think it's appropriately ironic to pause before Thanksgiving and to realize and understand how much God has blessed us and to say from the depths of our heart how thankful and grateful we are, especially as we look at the scene around the world and in our country today. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rick spoke on the issue of compassion and the Christian response to compassion, that we need to do something. That as Christ came and taught and, and moved and lived His life among us and told us not to ignore those who were in need, but to actually have compassion, to be stirred from the inside, and then to do something with those people. The idea of poverty that we look at this morning really fits hand in glove with the idea of compassion. It is, if you will, the, the other side of the same coin. We've all seen the images from, from third world countries from countries under extreme dictatorship and rule, and countries where some of the basic tools of life as we know it are completely absent. And we wince and we moan and we, we feel terrible about their plight. For some of us, our stomachs churn. For some of us, we weep at the pictures. But then we change the channel. We put down the paper. We close the magazine. And we go on with the rest of our day. Filled and with all of the concerns with the things that affect our lives today. The other things that consume us. The other things that 
consume our resources, that consume our time, that consume our energy, that consume our money, that consume our creativity, we move on to those things. And we forget and neglect the images that we've just seen. What causes us to pause, to, to really pause, is when poverty comes into our neighborhood and even begins to knock on our door. Many of us are now waking up and realizing what is happening in our economy and that it's hitting home in ways that we, we have not even expected or prepared for. The weight of what is happening to us in our local context, our jobs that are, that are packing up and leaving, our, our economy that is tight, our bills and our commitments that we've made to other, other lenders, all of that can begin to crush us and put us in difficult positions. Poverty is not something that just happens over there to those people. Poverty is moving into our neighborhoods and knocking on our doors. Poverty is something that we all have to deal with. It's a reality here in the U.S. And for some of us, we're experiencing it firsthand. And for others, they're experiencing it firsthand for the first time. Recent reports indicate that the national unemployment rate has reached a 14-year high of 6.5% in October. An even more recent uh, report that came out this week sustains that claim. The unemployment rates are increasing and at uh, 14-year highs, 6.5% and climbing. Foreclosures are up 25% compared to the same month last year. 84,000, 84,000 properties in October were foreclosed upon. In addition, the number of low-income working families is on the rise. These families, also called the working poor, are defined, in, in one example, defined this way. A family of four people with the household income of $41,228 or less. That's the working poor. Those numbers rose by 350,000 between 2002 and 2006. And a vast majority of those working poor, a vast majority of those represent working families who are working the equivalent of one and one quarter full-time jobs. A number of people and families just like you and just like me each day are finding it more and more difficult to make ends meet. We begin to ask ourselves, how long can we tread water? How long can we tread water before we drown? People are waking up every day with the news reports of the economy and the bills that are piling up and they're asking themselves this question, how long can I tread water before I drown. Poverty doesn't just have an economic punch to it either. One of the byproducts of poverty is, is inequality. One fact sheet claims that whether you live in the wealthiest nations in the world or the poorest, you will see high levels of inequality. It's seen in the areas of health education, hunger, and malnutrition. The poorest are also typically marginalized from society and have little representation or voice 
in public and political debates, making it even harder to escape poverty. By contrast, the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to benefit from economic or political policies. As numbers increase of those who are considered poor, and as numbers increased of those who are considered the working poor, the words of Scripture continue to ring true in our ears today. Deuteronomy 15.11 says this, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. What should ring true in our ears is not only the fact that the poor will always be among us, but what should ring true in our ears is the fact that we are called to do something about it. The church, the followers of Christ, have been called and asked to do, commanded to do something about it. If you hear nothing else that I say today, if you remember nothing else from this message, let these words echo in your ears today. The poor we will always have with us. We need to do something about it. The poor we will always have with us. And we need to do something about it. It's not just a good idea. The Scriptures don't just don't say that just sit and think about it and come up with a, a plan if you feel like it. It's not a suggestion. The Scriptures are clear. It is a command. We are collectively the church, individually followers of Christ, to do something about poverty. To do something about the needy. To do something about the poor that are among us. Time and again, we see in Scripture the importance of serving, the importance of helping, the importance of giving to the poor. It's easy to see the realities of poverty on a global scale, on a local scale, and now ever increasing on a personal scale. Poverty is moving more and more into more and more neighborhoods and backyards. God's Word as we've already seen today, is filled with references both directly and indirectly on meeting the needs of the poor and caring for them. The commands are repeated in the New Testament to care for the orphans and widows and those in need. Jesus, in His teachings and ministry, exuded passion and compassion on the needy and the poor and the oppressed. And I believe this is one facet of what it means to be in the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is about. That those who profess faith in Christ, that those who follow hard after Him, would take seriously this issue of poverty. Because Christ took it seriously in His own ministry. Read the Gospels. Read the book of Luke. His passion, His concern, was to lift up those who were oppressed to meet the needs of those who are poor, and that we should all work together to help those who are in need. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you of that this morning. But I see three themes 
as I read the scriptures and these passages on poverty and the poor and the needy. Three themes that come to light in relation to how we as Christ followers are to respond. The first is that we are called to defend the poor. Psalm 82 verse 1 says this, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. There is this this idea in Scripture, there is this call in Scripture to social and judicial assistance. Psalm 82 was written specifically for the leaders who were in the courts, the leaders who would hear the cases. It was specifically written to those who would sit and preside and, and pronounce judgment on the people. It was given to them and they were reminded by God to defend the fatherless, to reach out to the needy and maintain the rights of the poor. I think it is clear both by by casual observation uh, to all of us, but also if we need to by case study, that one of the reasons for poverty, one of the reasons for poverty globally and locally is political corruption and social injustice. Often, often clothed in bigotry and prejudice, be it ethnic racism, clan warfare, or religious persecution, the results, the results are corruption and injustice that keeps people impoverished. The issue, the issue of hunger in many countries around the world is not that there's not enough food to feed the people. The issue is the corruption of the governments and the black market that keep the food from the people. This is wrong. We live in a country, we live in a land, we live in a world where we can meet the needs of the poor. But the poor are oppressed. The hungry are starving because of the social injustice that is happening globally. And locally, things are no different. The issue may not be food. Change the X factor. But locally, the issues, the, the idea is no different. When we're, where we lack appropriate oversight and legislation, where there's an inappropriate, uh, where there's inappropriate checks and balances, we see corruption and poor people remain in want and in need. And as people live in that kind of setting, as people live in that kind of want, we see crime rates increase. From home invasions to bank robberies, people who are in desperate situations will often do desperate things. And we have been called to do something about it. We look at all of this that is happening on a global scale. We look at what is happening locally where we live here in the city of Erie, in Erie County. And the question is this. Who is going to do something about it? We don't have to argue or debate that it, it exists. 
The question is, who will do something about it? We are grateful for the professionals and the volunteers who've given their lives to social and judicial justice for the oppressed. But I think that God still knocks on the door of the church and asks us to look among ourselves and asks us, the church, who will do something about it. Just this week, the uh, mayor of Erie called upon the clergy to help stem the tide of violence that's occurring in the city. The government is knocking on the door of the church and saying, will somebody do something to help us? What a great opportunity. Pastor Keith Dre represented First Alliance Church at that meeting, and we look forward to future meetings where we can gather together and partner with brothers and sisters in the city of Erie and the Erie County area to help stop the violence. Just this week in the Times News, a pastor in, in, in the city was uh, featured as he's trying to, to uh, pull together a conference that will challenge uh, high school students in the decisions and life skills and the, the, the things that are happening around them, challenge them to make wise choices, challenge them to make the best decisions to avoid this kind of violence that we've seen. And I have to believe that God is asking some of us, His church, Christ followers, to do something about the social and judicial injustice that is happening globally and locally. He's knocking on our door. The mayor, the government, is asking us, please, do something. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7 says this, The righteous, the righteous care about justice for the poor. We are to care about justice for the poor. But the wicked have no such concern. And I have to believe that in a church of this size, with the number of people who attend, with our collective resources, our contacts, experiences, education, expertise, passions, and determination, I have to believe that we could come up with something to bring justice to the oppressed and the poor. Amen? Second theme that I see developed in Scripture is not just the call to defend the poor, but the call to care for the poor. I love the word picture that God gives Moses in in the book of Deuteronomy of, of how the people of Israel, how God's people are to treat each other in relationship, in community with each other. It's a beautiful word picture, and you need to go back and, and read chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 1. One of the things that, that God instructed Moses on the community life of those who would follow him, of those who are God's children, one of the, the teaching points that God presented was every seven years, every seven years, the, the people were to forgive the debts of each other. So that if there was an outstanding debt, those debts, every seven years, 
would be expunged. They would be erased. They would be taken care of. Every seven years, we were to forgive the debts that we held with each other. Scott, I'm counting my seven years, so I think you'll forgive my debt soon. Talk about a stimulus package for a group of people that are living in in an economy, huh? That they would just forgive the debt. Whatever it is, wherever it sits, it's completely forgiven. I'm going to call Wells Fargo tomorrow and see if I can work something out on my mortgage. I don't have high hopes. But Moses is, is using God's Word to instruct His people to say that there should be no poor people among you. If they would just follow my commands and, 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 and adhere to what I am asking of them, there would be no poor people among you. But alas, there are. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, he says this, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Verse 11, there you will always be there there will always be poor people in the land therefore i command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land i love this word picture that god gives this idea of living tight-fisted this idea of holding on to everything that i own of holding on to all of my money all of my resources all of my expertise all of my education, everything that is mine, everything that is under my home. And so that every time I see a person in need, and every time the poor are are around me, and every time I see injustice, I live my life tight-fisted and I give you nothing. Contrasted with the idea of living life with an open hand. Where all of my money and all of my resources and all of my time and all of my education and all of my expertise and everything that I've gone through and everything that I could possibly give to you that might meet your need is held loosely in my hand. And every time I see a brother or a friend in need and every time I see the need of the impoverished and I think I can help, I live my life with an open hand and I give and I meet the need. That's the command of the Scriptures. God has asked us to live life with an open hand. In fact, God has commanded us in His Word to live life with an open hand. I am encouraged. I'm encouraged by what I've seen here at First Alliance and our daughter church, Epic Faith, in the way that that these bodies, you people, live life collectively in this church with an open hand. The food pantry that we have that services almost 300, 300 people a month. The food pantry, when the, when the shelves are about to go bare and the call is, is, is sounded, you respond. And we are filled to overflowing the, the, the pantry shelves are filled. Our barn where our storage is filled because you have lived your life with an open hand and you've responded. I'm encouraged because I see blankets 
and coats placed into bins and to barrels that are handed out into the community to people who need them and organizations that will distribute them to people who have a great need. I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, a community life group, a Sunday school class that we have would partner with our community impact team to provide socks and undergarments for a ministry called King's Closet that's associated with the city mission. I'm encouraged that Epic Faith, that the people of Epic Faith, in one Sunday, were challenged to, to sign up to provide a frozen turkey for holiday baskets that we will be assembling on December 13th. Challenged to provide 80 frozen turkeys, and in one Sunday, 54 people have responded. I'm encouraged by the fact that we are a body of people who continue to live our lives with open hands. That a small group of people who go, who do their ministry unnoticed and unannounced, gather every month in our kitchen to prepare meals to be delivered downtown to the homeless. We do this on a local level. But we also do it on an international level. I'm encouraged by our partnership with ministries like Hearts for the Hungry and Rob Hess of uh, part of First Alliance Church that seeks to, to get food into the country of Haiti and to work hard at, at dealing with the injustice and the, the, the social uh, issues that are keeping the food from the people. We're trying to find ways to navigate the political corruption in the foreign countries and give care to the people that we impact. You are doing a great job. In fact, my wife commented the other day as we sat and we thought about all of these different things that we do corporately here as a body. My wife commented the other day that it is our desire that we would continue to raise our children in such a way that they would hold the things of their life loosely. That we as parents would model that. That we would not hoard and hold on to things But when we see the need, we meet the needs. The word open-handed here in Deuteronomy 15 actually means to have an open hand, to be opened wide, to hold things loosely. And we want our children in our home to understand that the unused toys that pile up in the corner can be used by other children who have nothing. That the unworn coats and jackets and clothes that, that we have can be worn by those who have need. And the extra cans of food that are in our homes can be given away to the food pantry. And at a holiday season, when we buy frozen turkeys, that perhaps we would be in a situation where we could buy two and give one away. Our desire is to live a life with our hands wide open, holding things loosely that we've been given. And I have to believe that in a church of this size, with the number of people who attend, with our collective resources, contacts, experiences, education, expertise, passions, and determination, I have to believe that we can help care for the poor locally and globally. 
The third theme I see in Scripture concerning poverty comes from what happens when people live in Christian community with each other, whether it's through a, a, a church and a worship environment or whether it's in a small group or a class or whether it's just Christian friends who, who are in our circle of, of friendship and influence. And that is the simple idea of meeting the needs of each other. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've preached through this uh, a couple of different times uh, with you as we've looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2. And one of the things that, that, was, that was a mark of the early church was in, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, you'll see that, that they lived together in community and Christian faith. And, and because they were close and because they knew each other, because they worshipped with each other, because they were in small groups together, because they were able to have uh, each other over to their homes, they lived in this close network of community that whenever there was a need, the people around them would rise up and they would meet that need. In fact, in Acts 2, it says, if the need was so great, people were going to the points of selling their possessions and taking the proceeds and giving it to their friends who had a need. And I know that in a room this size, with our body of of believers, there are untold stories of how your friends have met your needs. Perhaps for a moment, perhaps for a season. But the body of Christ rallying around each other when a need is known. And I have to believe that in a church of this size, with the number of people who attend, with our collective resources, contacts, experiences, education, expertise, passions, and determination, I have to believe that we can continue to meet the needs of those in this community of faith if we just keep our eyes and ears open. But where do we go from here? Where do we even start? I stand with Pastor Rick who mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we look at the needs and the needs are so vast and the needs are so deep and it's so far-reaching that I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to begin. There is so much coming at us in our day and age, globally, locally, personally. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to begin. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless to make a difference because of the sheer volume of need and the depth of need. But these words keep ringing in my ears. The poor you will always have with you. Do something about it. The poor you will always have with you. Do something about it. So let's do something about it. Let me share with you first, on a personal level, challenge you to do something about it on a personal level. What is it that I can do What is it that my family can do? What is it that that I can be aware of and meet specific needs? What is possible for me to accomplish given my gifts, my talents, my resources, my abilities, my experiences, my expertise, my education, my passion, and my desire? What can I do 
And as I ask this and throw it out to you, I'm not even expecting, uh, I'm not even expecting you to walk out this morning and your life radically changed and the whole trajectory of your, your work and your life and the, what you're planning to do with yourself completely changes. It might. But perhaps walking out today, will we seriously consider what can I do? Maybe it affects us at even a base level. Where as we shop, we shop two for one. I buy one for my home. I buy one to give away. As we see the needs in our community, in our neighborhoods, we're more awake, we're more aware, we're more free, we're more willing to live with an open hand. I don't know what it will be for you. And I don't know where God will lead you. But I know and I believe that with your background, with your experiences, with your resources, with your contacts, you can do something. To help you think through that, I created this grid. As you can tell from the title of it, I lacked creativity at this point in my message. It's just called the do something grid. But I'm asking you to think through three, three areas in two localities. Locally and globally. How can you pray? How can you give? And how can you act? What will you do? If you don't even know where to start, just fill in the box. Think through, where can I pray? What, what is happening locally that I can pray about? And do that. Be committed to doing that. Be committed to giving to a certain parachurch organization or a nonprofit agency. Consider acting out and actually getting out of our homes and physically doing something to help other people. I would encourage you to think about it on a global perspective as well. We have a lot of different. Uh, agencies that our church is associated with, three of which that you can be a part of if you want to make a global impact in the area of poverty. The first is called uh, Hearts for the Hungry, and their contact information is on the screen. Again, as I said, they're, they're trying to send food to Haiti and feed children. The other one is called Meeting God in Missions. Uh, Jim McDonald and his ministry uh, goes uh, also to Haiti, but also to the Dominican Republic to meet the needs of the poor and the impoverished there. The Christian Missionary Alliance, the uh, parent uh, denomination that we belong to, has, a, has an, uh, an agency, a relief arm, if you will. It's called Comma Services. And it stands for Compassion and Mercy Associates. And it's the relief arm of our denomination. They go into third world countries. They go to devastated regions. They follow up on the tsunami. They follow up on, on uh, wrecked areas. And they offer care and support. I don't know what God is whispering in your ear, but I think we can do something on an individual basis. Finally, I think we can do something corporately. I keep seeing the volume and the depth of need that is around us here in Erie County and and with our partners internationally, and, and I see what our community impact team is doing and what Epic Faith is doing. And I think that all of those projects that they've put before us and all of those things that they've challenged us with, I think all of that is great. 
But my question is this, it keeps rattling in my mind. I'm wondering, what are we missing? But what are we missing? We work with all these parachurch agencies, we work with these nonprofits. Are we missing something? God has continually blessed this church almost uh, all the time. I, I drive into this parking lot and I see who we are and where we're at. And I'm just amazed at how God has blessed First Alliance Church and Epic Faith and, and what we're a part of. And it's because we've been faithful to Him and we've given back and we've tried to meet the needs of the poor and those who are impoverished. But I keep wondering to myself, because of, of the sheer size of who we are, are we missing something? Is there something more that we can do in this city, in this county, in this community? What would happen if we pooled our collective resources together intentionally and sat in a room and dreamed a dream. What could God do? I wonder how many individuals are compelled and moved and motivated and interested in doing something in their workplace and their neighborhoods. I wonder if there are some new non-profit organizations waiting to be formed by those who sit here today. I wonder if there are new social and justice programs waiting to be launched by those who sit here today. I wonder if there are new education programs, training courses in life skills, in money management, in computer training that are waiting to begin by those who sit here today. And I wonder if there are ministries and programs and opportunities waiting to begin by those who sit here today who say there should be no more poor among us, but because the poor will always be here, I will live my life open-handed. And I wonder what would happen if those interested parties would gather together and cast vision. If they would network with each other. If they would collaborate on ideas. And they would just sit together and see what we could do. One of my favorite books that we have in the office, it's not a novel and it's not a devotional book, It's our business directory. It's the business directory of all of the people who call First Alliance their home. It's a phone book of all of you listing where you work and what you do. And I love that book because it gives me hope. There's hope in that book. That the people that are listed there and their contacts and their jobs and their experience and where they work and what they do and who they know, that we could rally together and maybe make a difference in this community. I know we can do it on poverty. And so to that end, I'm inviting you to a think tank. For those of you who are interested, we would just gather together and we would begin to dream and we would begin to cast vision and we would begin to network and we would begin to see, here's what we could do. Imagine if if those who worked in the legal and judicial side of our church showed up and said, you know what, I love this. I see this every day where I work. Here's where the church can fit in. How about imagine if, if those of you who work in, in, in the, the social work sector 
would come and gather together and say, I see this every day. Here's where the church can fit in. Imagine what would happen if parachurch ministries and organizations that we work with, nonprofits, would gather in the room that day and say, this is what I see and this is where the church can fit in. My goal is not necessarily to see another new ministry for someone here at the church to do. My goal is to help people see where God is calling them to be involved and help them begin that journey. It may fall under the umbrella of First Alliance and Epic Faith. It may have absolutely nothing to do with our church because people that we've marshaled together run with an idea and create their own organization. I don't know. A.W. Tozer wrote this. God is looking for people through whom He can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Because of this holiday season that's upon us and all of our schedules, um, the think tank will happen sometime in early January. But don't think for a moment that we will lose sight of this. Uh, as I've spoken with Pastor Rick, the message series we're planning in January will help us be reminded of this idea. Imagine what new initiatives would come from this forum, what fresh ideas can be shared, and how many people will be impacted if we would have the desire to just do something. Will you stand? Whether we fit in where God is already working, or we run with a dream that God has given to us, I believe that in a church of this size, with the number of people who attend, with our collective resources, contacts, experience, education, expertise, passions, and determination, I have to believe that we can all do something. The poor, the poor we will always have, live life with an open hand.